0: Hello, everybody. My name is Casey Lee, and this is me talking to people. Good evening, everybody. This is Casey Talks to People, the podcast where I talk to people. I haven't done this in a while, so actually maybe a couple weeks. And uh, my intros are getting weaker and weaker or stronger and stronger. I don't know. You guys be the judge. You guys can leave. You know comments and 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 reviews and whatnot. Um, But speaking of comments and reviews, we have more. It seems like people are actually listening uh, to this podcast and giving me some feedback. Um, Now, you know, I say more more reviews, but really this review comes from somebody who already wrote in. Uh, It's my friend Amy from New York. Um, She leaves a review and it says, "My new favorite podcast!" Exclamation mark! Five stars. Love this podcast. Casey's interviewing style is so genuine and enthusiastic, and the guests are. all really interesting so far. Love hearing their stories and even started incorporating some ideas I have heard into my own life. So that's great. Thanks, Amy, from New York. Um, we also had a last episode. No, not last episode. This would be two episodes ago. Um, we had Isabel Gannon, the, the former director of Legacy. Um, she sent me some kind words from her friend who said that, um, you know, the person subscribed. They listened to Dax Shepard. Um, and they said that uh, you know it, it's got a Doc Shepherd vibe to it, but it's it it there's a certain niche in terms of who I'm interviewing, and so that's that's very cool to be compared to that. I myself haven't listened to Dax Shepard's Shepherds. Uh a podcast but I've heard good things Conan O'Brien's been on it and that that he was the one who inspired this podcast so um thanks everybody for all your comments thanks everybody for your reviews it really does help so if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't left a review yet go onto your app and leave a review uh it really does help spread the promotional uh side of this podcast tell your friends to download it even if you're not into podcasts uh just spread the word it does really help and it's a really, really great appreciation there this weekend was a particularly hot weekend in Ottawa and all around uh probably southern on southeastern ontario wherever we are um and like boiling boiling hot i think at one point it was with the humidex 44 43 degrees it was crazy uh do you have air conditioning at your place
1: um sort of sort of How,
0: what, what is sort of
1: sort of is um i have an air conditioner and i cannot get it the exhaust to mount properly in the window
0: oh so just not usable yeah you well, have an air conditioner I, I, that you can't actually use it will be
1: it will be fixed eventually because i learned from the building this week that apparently they don't take any responsibility for anything i do to the air conditioner <laughs>
0: right, right so right.
1: i'm probably going to take this weekend to jury rig something that All will right. actually make it work
0: so super hot weekend but despite that uh well i don't know why it's not really despite that it's just it happened at the same time. Uh, I actually did the Bunker escape room. Have you heard of this thing?
1: I haven't done it before. Have you done it? It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of
0: fun. Yeah. Yeah. Bunker escape room. Uh, it was a 25,000 square foot escape room uh, at the Bunker. If you don't know what the Bunker is, it was a uh, shelter in case of nuclear war. And, you know, we needed some continuity in our government and the government would go down there. 600 people or so could go down there. Uh, named after Baker. Uh, who who never who didn't want to be in there apparently he said if th- it ever happened he just stayed with his wife and kids um, but anyways, very cool uh, if you're in the Ottawa area or you're near Ottawa and you want to try an, a really cool escape room uh, check out the Defen Bunker Escape Room um, so about thirty two bucks a person very cool um, you know usually escape rooms you're in a what like a ten by ten foot room this is twenty five thousand square feet you're just running around like crazy. Uh, very cool, very cool. All right, but that is not what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk with my guest who is yet again another person I know through My Byward Office. This is, really should be called the My Byward Office podcast, really. Um, so so this is a guy that I, I've kind of met gradually as I spent my time here at My Byward Office. There was this guy who was sitting here. Occasionally we would talk. Uh, we introduced ourselves or whatever. Um, he He actually... Uh, runs a lot of the content marketing for my Byward office themselves. Uh, he's kind of driving a lot of that stuff. So if you see any of that stuff, that's that's coming in a lot from him. Um, he is a copywriter and content creator. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the thing that I, I really uh, have to thank him for is he's been very, very supportive of me and my business. Um, he He's always like patting us on the back when we release stuff. He's always... Being very excited about our stuff, always very positive about the stuff that we have to to put out. Like I know the stuff that we release is not necessarily the greatest stuff in the world, so it's nice when people are kind of giving you a little bit of support. So I uh, really have to thank him for that. Um, yeah, very very supportive of that. But more, maybe more intriguing is this episode today is a pilot of sorts for a podcast idea that he had. I don't know how how. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how realistic.
1: Now I've got to follow through on this donor. I?
0: <laughs> I don't know how realistic it's going to be, but this this is going to be a pilot of sorts for a podcast idea that he has. Um but anyways, without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh copywriter and content creator Andrew Monroe. Hello. How's it going? Not too bad. How 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 has the how have the nerves settled in?
1: Uh, I'm feeling all right. Yeah. I probably want to drink a little bit more before we go on this.
0: (laughs) You're a lot more soft-spoken than you normally are in the office.
1: Yeah, well, I'm also very conscious of the fact that there's a microphone really close to my face. Well,
0: this is the thing, though. We want to get good levels, right? That's true. I almost feel like I should turn down your headphones so you're not as self-conscious about it.
1: Maybe not. (laughs) I will say, though, that whatever you may think of your own content, the reason that I like it is that you put a lot of good thought and you're always trying to deliver to a very specific audience. That's interested in what you are and and what it is that you do. Um, and I will say that, um, that is more uncommon. I find in the world of business to business marketing than a lot of people like to think.
0: Right. Like, what do you think you think? Like, Is it that most people just put stuff out there without really thinking about it?
1: Well, it's not that. And in many ways, I I think that to a certain extent, a lot of content marketing has shifted in that way. Both the platforms and sort of the general mood toward content, um, especially in the business space, I think is very much leaning toward just sit down and do it and make it casual, make it real, make it, God forbid, authentic. Right, right, right. Um. But that at the same time, it isn't sort of, it isn't just somebody pulling something out of their ass. Right. It's something that while maybe the presentation and maybe the way it is carried out might even be impromptu, uh, the thought and desire behind it were, were created with thinking about your audience in mind. Right, right, right. Um, and yeah. Yeah. You would think that we would spend a lot of people would spend a lot of time thinking about their audience. Yeah. And I think we can do better. Right, right, I, right. I know I can always do better.
0: Well, okay, so let's let's back up for a second. Yeah. Um so you I mean, how long have you been in the content marketing game? Like did you Have you always been in content marketing?
1: So according to LinkedIn, I've been doing this for just over four years. Okay.
0: Um, So let's back up even further. So let's start with with where, so you're from BC. I am from BC. Um, Vancouver born. Oh, Vancouver born. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, What part of Vancouver? Vancouver.
1: Um, uh, according to my birth certificate, St. Augustine's hospital.
0: Okay. Which um, is,
1: um, it's, I'd have to look it up at this point.
0: Okay, I, so cannot, I
1: cannot point it to you on a map,
0: I was, but I'm assuming you, you did not grow up in Vancouver. then.
1: I did not grow up in Vancouver. No. Um, uh, my parents are both from the UK. Oh. Um, and they emigrated from the UK to Canada. I want to say in... 87. Right. Um, and then I was born in 89. Right. So for all of you listeners, you now know how old I am.
0: Reveal, we, re- we do reveal a lot of ages. We reveal yes. Eric's age on the podcast. Oh,
1: okay. Well, <laughs> there we go. Um, but, um, uh, they, my parents had originally moved there where they had me, um, subsequent to that. Um, unlike, I guess a, a lot of families, um, that I grew up with. My mother was the primary income earner for our household. So right. we followed my mother's work and she is a speech or well, now was a speech and language pathologist. She's retired now. Um, so we would follow her work. Um, so I understand so this was too early for me to really remember after, I think maybe the first year of my life, we moved out to, um, the Haida Gwaii, the Queen Charlotte islands on the West coast. Okay. Um, uh, where we lived there, I guess from for me, it would have been from like the age of about one till two. Okay. Um, then around the time that I can actually remember, um, we moved onto the mainland to Terrace, which if you don't know where it is, if you can find Prince Rupert on a map, if you got in a car and drove east about an hour, you'd be in Terrace from Prince Rupert. Right, right. Um, so lived there until about, I think it was about 97. Yeah. Um, and then following my mom's work again we moved south to penticton which is in the okanagan valley in southern bc um wine growing country right um
0: this is where your love of alcohol kicked in
1: um something like that um (laughs) my my mother likes to note that i was reading the wine column in the newspaper before i ever was actually drinking wine (laughs) um and Uh, To this day, I I guess suppose I have a certain amount of bias for supporting the the B.C. wine industry. Right, right, right. Um, uh, Especially coming from, uh, as a British Columbian living in Ontario, where I kind of want to stick up for the little guy and saying that B.C. can make wine just as good as as the Niagara (laughs) Escarpment I feel like
0: B.C. is not the little guy in a B.C. versus Ontario. No, I I don't think
1: it is anymore, but when I, back in the early 2000s it was. Really? Okay. I, I went back to... Uh, Penticton uh, during the springtime this past year um, and since I've left home and I left Penticton and moved to Ottawa in 2008, I would say that the number of wineries in the valley has probably at least doubled if not tripled since I live in there. The industry is is booming. Right. Um, and There's never been a better time uh, to go visit BC wine country
0: So, so why, I mean, why did you leave? I mean, 2008, you decided to move to Ottawa. So,
1: yeah. So in, I'd finished, I graduated from high school in 2007. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I, however, had had a, I guess a strong background, I guess, in the latter half of high school, um, uh dealing with sort of matters of, like, in like um, international studies and a bit of human rights. So I decided, um, coupled with a couple of field trips, including um, one abroad trip in which they took a group of something like 30 of us down to Ecuador uh, to build a school. And this would have been, like, 2006. Right, I had the most amazing time while I was, like, there. And I was like, oh, I would, like, love to go back. So between that and my just general interest in wanting to see the world, um, in that at the end when I finished high school in two thousand seven, um, I took a six and a half month trip back to South America, um, which, as it turns out, was rather exceptional because, um, as I later learned, um, eighteen year olds are rarely found solo traveling around South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, people were always shocked at both the fact that I was alone and the fact that I was as young as I was, because most of the other foreign backpackers that you ran into in South America were like 24, 25. Yeah, yeah. And for them, this might've been like their third or fourth major backpacking trip in their life. Right, right. This was the first for me. Right. Um,
0: How was it down there?
1: Um, I th- remember having an amazing time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, looking back on it now, um, how many years has it been now that's like 12 years ago um there's a certain amount of like hindsight and sort of tempering of that attitude as i really understood that that and understood how clued in or not clued in i was on some things yeah, yeah. um uh, but that i guess think that's the consequence of growing older is you you realize how much of an idiot you were when you were younger.
0: well i mean i feel like a lot of a lot of the people i interview on this podcast i'm always like oh like yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the people I talk to are, are, are like, you know, CEOs or entrepreneurs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of like, oh, was there any hesitation or was there any fear in, in doing something? And most of them are like, well, I, I don't think I was old enough to realize the fear that I should have had. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: um, uh, I don't think I've ever shown this to you, but I have a, a tattoo on my right shoulder.
0: I did not know that.
1: Um, it's, you it's going to show uh, it right now? Yeah. Perfect for the podcast. <laughs> it's perfect for the podcast. For those of you that cannot see it, it is... <laughs> Actually, a tattoo of the logo of Amnesty International. I was going to say, that
0: looks like the Amnesty. It is the Amnesty
1: logo. Um, uh, As was befitting me straight out of high school, I was really big into that sort of thing, Um, leaving. um, um, Again, you're grown older, and and it's changed somewhat. So at the time, for me, it was meant to be very much an expression of my values. And Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, it still is. Um, So I had spent two months scoping out a... Um, a tattoo parlor in Ecuador where I ended up getting this done for $30. I only learned after that point, all of the different infections one can catch from having a tattoo done. (laughs) So um, in that line, I was very fortunate. Um, But as well now, I feel like as a result, the tattoo is no longer so much about what it was originally intended, but now it is uh, for me, this really important story of me learning things and growing up. Okay. Um, and also I think a little bit of all the things I didn't understand when I was 18 and traveling around South America.
0: Reminder of all those things. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you, you do some pretty exotic traveling. It sounds like um, like at the time. And then, so what brings you to, so Ottawa? once I
1: come back, I knew that I wanted to go to university. I just hadn't been sure about what, Yeah. so I'd come back from South America realizing that one that, I wanted to do something in, I guess, like the politics and social justice field. Um, and to, I think, I'd come back with a certain understanding that what I actually did for my bachelor's was really not that important. Um, and and like, I say, like, that you
0: knew that before going. I knew backwards. that,
1: and I think, I yeah, and I think South America, to a certain extent, had taught me that. Okay. Like a couple of people had said something to me at some point because I kept running into older people that were doing their backpacking trip after After, their degree had been completed. Um, And they were all saying, yeah, don't worry about what your degree is. And it's more important that you make sure that you enjoy it because for, and I think this sort of is bared out as my life has gone along that a bachelor's degree is not so much about what you studied, but about the fact that you completed it. Yeah, yeah. And showing that in that sense, the degree is the best thing you will ever have professionally to show that you finish what you start. Yeah. Um, and that's important for a lot of employers, more important than I ever thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah. Well, I've always said is like there's this unintentional benefit of doing an undergrad. Yeah. Like where it's like, Again, and I say unintentional because I don't know if the universities actually designed it this way, mm. but definitely going through an undergrad, yeah. like I mean, it's not easy, right? Yeah. Like you have to work a lot, you have to manage a lot, you're on your own, doing all this stuff, and you kind of come out a very changed person. But yeah. again, whether intentional or not, um, from the university, yeah. you know, it's is you know for anybody to say, but no, totally. So, so you decide that you that a bachelor is important, but just not what you take there.
1: Yeah, I would say that it's more important that you pick something that you know is going to interest you because you're going to have to do it for four or more, in my case, more years in order to be able to get it done. Um, And if if you can't, if you don't know that you're going to do something that you're not going to be still excited about dealing with in that time, you were going to have a problem. And, so, and it shows because I think something like half of all the people that ended up dropping out of university drop out in that first year. Right, right. Right. Um, and that was precisely why I had gone traveling beforehand because it was that specific, that very specific thing that I wanted to avoid. I wanted to avoid dropping out because I didn't know why I was there.
0: Yeah. 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 So what did you pick then in the end? So I
1: ended up picking the human, the joint human rights and political science program at Carleton. Okay. Um, um, as at the time, I'm not sure if this is still the same, but it was at the time, I think the, or one of the only schools in Canada that taught uh, human rights as an actual, its own discipline apart from political science. Um, That said, um, I found that as I went through a lot of the sort of the, I'm going to call it the activist bent that I had going in, um, I think, uh, ended a little bit as I think i I'd learned more and I kind of understood that, as one does, that issues that I treated as very black and white leaving high school had a lot more nuance to them. And that was, I, I think, a very sobering experience for me. So I would say that toward the end of that degree, I had moved away from an issues of, of more, less of the attitude of more of trying to change the world and more of a matter of understanding the world because right. I'd come to realize, I think, a little bit how, how little I knew.
0: Right. That's interesting. I mean, it's like, so, it, I mean, it kind of re- like diluted your kind of activist mindset, but not necessarily in a bad way. Like you, it was just like remove your naiveness towards a lot of these issues. Yeah.
1: Um, and and for me, like, if we want to talk about the, the tattoo um, a little bit, um, like Amnesty, who, I will say unequivocally do great work. Um, uh, But uh, one of the things that I understood about working in that space was that I was running into a lot of people who would hold social and political reviews that they had never really... When you talk to them, you realize that they'd never ever really reflected on it or had ever thought about... like. What are the the weaknesses? What are the ways that I can be manipulated? Um, um, in my view, and a lot of the a lot of people I ran into in that in that particular space, were not in the area of critical thought, and that for me, especially after doing my degree, was something that was really important. It was really important that I rigorously test my belief system and my values, um, and that when I am presented with um, yeah evidence and learn things that show me a different better. I change those values
0: right 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 um so do you, do you kind of come out of that that degree then with a sense of being more careful about how you how you construct your opinions or because it om- i mean I, I know it's not though I hope it's not this, but it almost sounds like you've come to a point where you don't even want to fight that battle anymore
1: well it's not so much it, it, I, yeah, it's not so much that I don't want to fight the battle, I think, but I think you are right in that it makes you more careful because it now that you understand the different ways um, uh, and different sort of perspectives on an issue, it makes you slower to create an opinion and a firm stance because you know, and you've seen very legitimate ways in which your previous opinions about the world have been shown to be wrong or inaccurate. Right. 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 Um, so for me, yeah. Um, it's a matter of, it's become less of a, a, a fast battle and more of a long protracted war.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) so you're still going,
1: that's going to take the rest of my life (laughs) in terms of, of, defending what i think is right
0: right right right. um so you you go through your undergrad and you Mm. you finish yes yeah
1: i feel like now i have to try and bridge that entire like sub discussion (laughs) to what i do now because
0: no i mean i mean no it's interesting i mean this is the thing about this podcast is like sometimes i'll I'll start talking um and ask people about their origin story but it totally Mm -hmm. leads down a a a path that I don't so, know because so, that, I mean, that's the most interesting so thing.
1: If you want to talk about my origin story and how, yeah. and how I ended up doing this work, yeah. we have to go back to grade one. Okay. And I, I to commit. I don't even know, I don't know where she is or even if she's still, she's still alive, but it was been either grade one or grade two. Um, and I still remember this with a certain amount of clarity. Um, we'd been given an assignment by like the grade one teacher to write a short story. Um, and, I was looking back, and it was obviously not meant to be a particularly difficult task. And I remember coming back and seeing that most of my classmates had written one, maybe two pages worth of writing for a story. Yeah, in grade one. That's pretty impressive. Well, or or, yeah, or so. But like, it it was we're doing like like one page double space. It's not that many. I had written eight pages wow. and hadn't even gotten halfway through the story arc that I had designed for myself.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, um, and that was sort of thematic and around the time, around that time I would have left, um, Terrace for Penticton. And I remember one of the last messages, um, uh, before I left, um, uh, the class and the teacher had put together this little sort of book. It would have been made of construction paper. Cause this is like 1997. Um, and, and things seem to be always a lot craftier back then than they are now. Um, but there's, I still have that book somewhere. I'm not really sure, but at the back page was the teacher's comment about, um, best of luck. Andrew never stop writing. um, and to a certain extent, I took that to heart, and I still think of it, as you can tell, now. And to a, yeah, in right. a way, I have never stopped writing.
0: That's crazy. Did you? I mean, did you feel it at that point when you when you read that, or? Um, I mean, you're pretty young at that point, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I think I had taken it to heart, um, and I remember being really driven along that line for a lot of my childhood and adolescence. At some point, um, I had gotten into my head that, while well, I love writing, I would still be writing, I don't, I, th- that I was not likely to be making a living from doing it.
0: Right.
1: Um, so I'd kind of put that to one side, where I thought that writing was always going to be a permanent hobby for me. Um, yeah. Um, to think about that for now. Um,
0: did you, I mean, did you pursue it? I mean, at what point did you actually pursue writing as a career? I mean, was it, was it pretty obvious at some point or you had exhausted other options at that point? So, yeah. So the, the
1: origin story, the modern origin story, um, the one that you've sort of been around here for, um, would have started after I'd finished uh, university right now. one of the things that the, the program at Carleton was very good at preparing me for was work in the nonprofit sector. Um, especially in this town where there's so many sort of nonprofits and advocacy groups that are looking for people with things like education and human rights to help them. um, so I ended up doing contracts and side work in that space for NGOs and a couple of other organizations. Um,
0: and what, I mean, what kind of work were you doing? Was it was just like,
1: um, Because I'll tell
0: you, like, legitimately, one of my questions on my paper Mm. is, what is copywriting? Ah, so we'll get to that. Coming up to that. Maybe we really should have started
1: with that, because that's probably far more interesting.
0: I think I I know what it is, but I'm not sure I do. so. So... um, so sorry, what kind of work were you doing? So for these, well,
1: the kind of work I was doing could be probably loosely described as what I would say is project work, okay. which is a really just a, a, a tidy way of saying that you do whatever is needed in order to get s- projects and ideas realized. All right. So that's everything from writing and content, but also every, things like event logistics and, and talking with people and organizing volunteers and um, like the run a whole gamut of everything that often goes into like into uh, message campaigns and events. Um, and I'd found toward the end of my last contract that um, I was doing a whole bunch of really great work. Um, at one point I got to shake the hand of Ban Ki-moon, which was oh. an amazing time. He was the secretary general of the UN. All right. Um, um, so just like an amazing time. And... At the same time, as great as it was being in that world, most of the time, all I really wanted to be, all I really wanted was to be left back at the office so that I could write content for the organization's website. Huh. Uh, and with that realization, I started having conversations with people um, about what to do next um, uh, after the contract was up at the end of that summer, and that would have been like twenty fourteen. Um, and that summer i something had something like six people who in all independently referred me to the professional writing program at Algonquin. Okay. Um, so with the contract over, I went back to school. Oh, okay. Um, and I did, uh, as a direct entry, a year of, uh, professional writing diploma at Algonquin. Okay. Um, and, and how was that? that was uh, a great experience. Um, they do a really good job of teaching me, I want to say sort of like the business of writing Okay. about like the different kinds of writing there are and a really sort of hands-on experience of all the ways that people actually make money doing writing. So it, the class had a fairly broad appeal of everyone that I think was from the people that were planning to like write novels as a way of doing it all the way down to, um, uh, like how to write a tweet
0: right. for, for a client. <laughs>
1: right. um, so, um, and I had finished that. Um, uh, did a great internship at at Chio yeah. to, to finish that, um, which was still one of my sort of the most fun writing I have done since I got started. Okay. Um, and then I think because I had been doing a lot of uh, work in the nonprofit sector. I thought that I would be able to now, armed with sort of a lot more sort of understanding of how comms in the space worked, I'd be able to go out and do that work again, but in a more comms oriented capacity. Right. Um, and what ended up, I found ended up happening was that I had gone, I went through, ended up going through several jobs, um, and none of them were particularly good fits in terms of either I didn't this ended up being work that I didn't really want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, or, uh, work in which I was like, clearly not like a good, like they call it cultural fit for a group. and I wasn't really meshing with the people that I was working around. And that, as it turns out, was a really important thing that had never really come up before in my life. Right. Um, because this was now the, the work that like I actually wanted to be doing for years and years.
0: Right. um,
1: And at the same time, that summer, I'd started going out to networking events. Um, It was, I don't think you've interviewed him, but uh, one of my sort of go-to developers that I work with now, Dave Hicks. Um, He was one of the first people I met when I went out and started going out networking in in Ottawa after I finished my diploma. Um, And sort of combined with that, I'd picked up the first couple of, Uh, these freelance contracts, people saying, hey, a freelance writer and editor for hire, can you help me with this little thing? Um, And I would pick, say yes to those while I was still looking for work. Um, And sort of, if you fast forward, I guess, another like eight to 10 months, um, I'd gone through several jobs by that point. And I had kind of come to a point where I'd finished like the last little bit of work um, and I basically had a moment where I was just like I'm really tired of doing this, I'm really tired of, of trying to get myself, find a place where I belong in other people's companies and at the same time I'd been picking up more and more of these freelance contracts because while I didn't seem to be fitting in in anybody's workplace um, people seemed to really enjoy me helping them either create writing or make their writing better. So I had what I still refer to as the, the fuck it and throw my papers everywhere moment. Um,
0: (laughs) some people would call it an epiphany, but
1: (laughs) yeah, but it was the moment where it was for me, where I decided that I was tired of trying to, um, to fit in and I needed to create something for myself and I already had it half started without even me really trying Yeah. so I stopped looking for work and started really going out and, and showing up, shaking people's hands um, and telling people what I did and asking if they needed help and yeah, I would say that the first couple of years was rough and I think that from the sound of what I've heard on this podcast and from people that I hear from real life in any kind of freelance or entrepreneurial gig, the first couple of years is always hard. Right. Um, so that was no different for me. Um, one, because I, nobody had ever taught me anything about how to do business. So the first thing that I ended up having to learn was, was business skills, um, how to network, how to negotiate, how to, how to put together a contract even. Um, All of these things that had never really been taught to me, not even at at Algonquin, even though I suspect that I was taught by, by at least a number of freelancers who were instructors there. Um, And after that, then it just became a matter of you need to start showing up, getting your name out. And then when you did work, do good work ask for, learn to ask for referrals. Slow um, burn, Yeah. Slow burn. And now here we are at whenever it was like the end of year four. And I would say that, yeah, after the first couple of years, third year began to get the hang of it. And if, if this is the fourth year, then this is the year that things have really started working the way that I think I'd hoped that they would end up working. Um, and at this point, I would never go back to doing work any other way. Awesome.
0: Um, it's always the way it happens. Yeah. So <laughs> not always to but...
1: to answer your question about what copywriting is.
0: Wait, let's let's get that. Uh, let's get let's get into that after the commercial break. OK, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're here talking with Andrew Monroe about all sorts of things. But uh, we'll be right back after our unpaid advertisements. And now for a segment we call unpaid advertisements. If you don't know what the deal is, go listen to past episodes and you'll know what the deal is. Now, our unpaid advertisements today are a little special of a treat because uh, we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that's a little bit of a pilot idea for Andrew. And it is all about a drink that he's making right now. And I told him he should make the drink while we're doing the unpaid advertisements. How's that going?
1: So uh, this drink is I would first of all like to give credit for this drink because it is not one of mine.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Is this our going to be our unpaid, unpaid advertisement? So no, the unpaid advertisement is for the bourbon that I've used. Oh, well, but uh, okay. but we can talk about the we can talk about the <laughs> drink because I thought you
1: wanted to maybe talk about the podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. No, the we should talk about the podcast. Idea. podcast after. So the
1: podcast I, you want to talk. So the podcast idea and then the drink and then the, no. the, the bourbon.
0: No, let's do the unpaid advertisements. That I have laid out. Okay. While you make your drink. Okay. And then we'll talk about the bourbon and the uh and the- Okay, because there's so many things we
1: could go into there. Okay, okay yes. so
0: lots of people, um, lots of people listen to podcasts. You listen to podcasts.
1: I listen to podcasts.
0: And and I think when people listen to podcasts, they always recommend podcasts to other podcast listeners. So I'm gonna recommend a podcast today. Um, as my unpaid advertisement. So one of the um, first podcasts I ever listened to was actually m- not really a podcast, but more a radio show that gets recorded and then released as a podcast. Um, so this was a radio show that I discovered on my way home from, I can't remember where I was driving, uh, but it was around the Kingston area where we're very near the uh, US border. And when you drive near the US border, you start to get NPR uh, uh, over your, your car's antenna. So NPR was broadcasting and I started to listen to this radio show and I started laughing a lot. And I was like, this is a really funny show. And I found out more and more that these guys were actually a really big deal and apparently have been a big deal for a long time. They were so big that they, in fact, had a cameo on the Pixar movie Cars. Um, yeah, these guys are just that that big, apparently. Um, so with a, uh, I just want to mention it. It's called Car Talk. Now, even if you're not into cars, it is a call-in show where you tell them your car's problems, and they will diagnose them. Sounds not exactly like everyone's cup of tea, but I guarantee you, give it a listen, you will laugh. That's Car Talk. Check it out. Uh, I forgot to write down a URL here, so I'm going to guess it's cartalk.com. But check it out, Car Talk. It's a great podcast. Um, listen to it today. Now... When I started my business and I started to hire people, one of the first things I needed to figure out was how payroll worked. So I took my friend Brad out um, who was running payroll at the company I was working at and I bought him some lunch and I said, Brad, how do you run payroll? And he's like, you just do it. Well, he never really say that, but he didn't say it was that big a deal. And so I, I went and found some software and I've been using it ever since. Um, I use a piece of software called payment evolution if you are a canadian business and you want to take all the hassle out of payroll sign up for payment evolution they have great prices i pay about 200 bucks a year yes <laughs> you look like you have something to say do you use something different no, I, I don't. oh yes so for people who don't have payroll this is not this is not that important thing <laughs> what's going on to stir. andrew needs something to stir his drink also, I should mention that if you're listening to this podcast and you're very confused as to why you're hearing phones ring, doors open, doors close, people walking around, we unfortunately could not get a private room today. So we're in the we're in the heart of my byword office right now, among all the uh, craziness
1: the the beating the beating heart of this cohort. And if community. you if you're
0: hearing. Glass clinking. That's you know, me making that drink. That's just what it's like to work at my viral office every day. Yeah, drinking. <laughs> exactly. But let me get back to it. These people are not paying valuable money to have their ads read right on there. But paymentevolution.com. Uh, it's a great payroll system. It will really take the hassle out of running payroll. I basically, every two Fridays when my employees get paid, I go in, I log in, I spend out five minutes Run payroll and pay them. They even have automatic uh, payroll deposit if you want to deposit your money into your employees' accounts. They also have a paycheck system, a so pay stub, um, so your, your all your uh, employees get to check their pay stubs online. Um, at the end of the year, when you run your T4s, they can get their T4s online. It's all great. Check it out, paymentevolution.com. And we are back talking to Andrew Munro about his beliefs in the activist world being sobered up and to make him the mature man that he is today and talking about his journey into copywriting, influenced by his grade one teacher and all that stuff. But wait, wait, before we get...
1: You make it sound so glamorous.
0: Oh, it is very glamorous. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, when you talk about the journey to becoming your own boss Mm. and running your own business... Um, you know what I like to hear a lot is that a lot of people, it it wasn't such a, it wasn't like, a a lot of entrepreneurs, it wasn't something that was like, they've been dreaming about from day one. It was something that like kind of came up by, like, I mean, you were searching for other jobs and these, you know, to a certain extent, I ended up doing it
1: because I felt that I learned that that was what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, in the sense that I, I, and The world was effectively telling me that, um, like I wasn't finding a good fit, not finding that workplace where it's just like, I belong with this community of workers and working for this company. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, people were paying me to do work on my own. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a pretty clear signal because at the end of the day I needed to pay rent. (laughs) Um, yeah. so if people are willing to pay me to keep doing this, I will keep doing it.
0: Well, I mean, like I, I mean, I was in nine to five jobs and I was convinced I was going to stay in nine to five jobs. I never had aspirations to be an entrepreneur and, ever. And like,
1: that was largely my attitude coming out of Algonquin yeah. was I thought I'd been, only had been working nine to five or like I'd been working in the service industry for 11 years. So whatever passes for a nine to five job in a restaurant, um, that, that was, like, how I made a lot of my money during uni. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, had, I put it that would when I got used to it, was what I was familiar with. Yeah. I show up, I do my work, I, I work with you. But uh, what I like to think was almost usually a fun team of people to work with. I'd finish, I'd go home, do the rest of my life, come back the next day, do more work. Right. Um, and still, like, it's not a, some days, it's still not an unattractive thought. Um, I just do this now.
0: Exactly. No, there are definitely times when you think to yourself that, man, if I just took a nine to five job. you, you know, know, how I, nice- like, yeah. Do you
1: wake up Casey and think like, damn, I wish somebody else was looking after the business today. It's
0: not so much when I wake up more, probably at the end, in the middle of the day when I'm pulling out my hair out, you know, right. just like well, how nice it would be.
1: Why is this my problem?
0: Exactly. Now, I, I, I don't want this podcast to go through and not actually talk about this podcast pilot idea that you had. So, right. so you have been mulling over, you because you're a podcast listener yourself. Yes. Um, you mentioned that you actually want to plug a, a podcast.
1: So there's, there's a podcast that I want to plug based on what we'll get to, Casey's point of asking, what is actually copywriting? If you want a great podcast, Uh, that helps people understand what what copywriting is i encourage you to go over to the all good copy podcast it is run by a lovely man named glenn fisher um out of the uk and uh, glenn is a copywriter of many 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 years um, and he has other copywriters and other freelance professionals and creatives on his show to talk about um, uh, some of like the big issues that dominate our work as yeah as copywriters and as people like doing creative work on our own
0: that's great it's nice when it's nice when like, you're in a pretty niche job, and you actually have a voice out yeah. there representing. And, you know, and like.
1: I will say this, Glenn: If you ever hear this, you you really do. You speak to your audience really well. Keep up the good how, work.
0: How big do you think his do you think he would actually hear this?
1: I know that his readership is or his listenership, I guess, is is sizable because I am discovered. I guess I suppose more recently that as, as copywriters have our own little online community. Okay, and. Makes sense. our little corner of Twitter.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and it is now when I'm on Twitter, almost exclusively where I spend my time. Right. Um,
0: but so that's a yeah. podcast you listen to. Yeah. Let's talk about a podcast that you're mulling over actually creating. So
1: as it is, so, so pitch,
0: pitch the idea to the world. So right now.
1: pitch this. I, so the idea is, is that here I am having this lovely, uh, maple whiskey sour, um,
0: which it, is, if, which is?
1: Yes, which is, do you want me to do it? Or we could put the recipe notes in, in the <laughs> we podcast could, at the we end. We could put the recipe I'll in put, the show how notes. How about we do both? We'll okay. put, I'll put the notes in at the end. But um, I'd first like to credit this, this cocktail to uh, the fantastic uh, Laura Bailey of Critical Role. Um, and her uh, educating us on this cocktail uh, from the Between the Sheets episodes. Uh, that are put out by its either critical role or their company Geek & Sundry Um, anyways the maple whiskey sour courtesy of Laura Bailey uh, is two ounces of bourbon half an ounce of maple syrup and three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice Uh, shaken over ice um, which and you don't have today. I do not have today. So, unfortunately... So, you didn't... Oh, now the magic is ruined. But I did not have ice today. So, unfortunately, I'm drinking this out of a very chilled glass. Yes. Um, it should also be served over ice, which is unfortunately... And garnished with lemon wedge, which I also don't have. Right. But that does not change the fact that this is still a delicious cocktail with the limited resources that I have available.
0: Right. So, you're drinking this, you're drinking this drink?
1: I'm drinking this drink. And yeah. I thought, you know, some of the best conversations that I've ever had have happened over a drink. Over a drink. And that, wouldn't it be great if one of these times I could record some of these great ideas that had happened? Usually after the first or second drink, I find that the quality of ideas goes down after the third. (laughs) But yeah, wouldn't it be cool? So I have a a podcast idea, which I may or may not ever get around, important maybe, uh, get around to creating called Drinking With Freelancers where i sit across from somebody much like i am doing now mm-hmm. with a drink and we talk about our drinks and we talk about i guess life in general as right. one does when one is talking over drinks
0: but it sounds like you focus you want to focus that on freelancers so the life of a freelancer yes the
1: life of a freelancer well in many ways like in much the way that your podcast and glenn fisher's podcast talk about issues that are relevant to this I'm not even really sure if it's a niche anymore because it's a, it's really popular to work for yourself at at the moment. But, um, about like what it's actually really like, because for me, and that, that is just as much a matter of addressing a need that I had, which was wanting to know that I was not alone in this and that, that people felt the same difficulties and struggles that I did. Right. And I wanted to have a talk about that, which is what makes listening to these podcasts really great. Right. Like not only do I learn things, but I also feel like Casey and Glenn, you get me. Yeah. And, and
0: well, that's, when you, when you work, that was when, my you, mission, when, to, when you work, to, to, yeah,
1: when you work, when you work with other people, when you work for a company, you have coworkers that you can lean on for that. But when you're a freelancer, when it's just you, you don't really have anybody to lean on.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's sometimes really reassuring to know that there are other people out there who are, who are like in your sort of like in your corner.
0: Yeah, and that's true. Yeah. It's true. And I mean, I mean, hats off to Eric who's sitting in the back corner there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He caught, I caught his attention. Yeah. Uh, you know, hats off to, to people like Eric who are running my by office and, and putting, those people together right because it is true yeah. like when you're like it, it is a very lonely place to be yeah. running your company and, and being at the top because you feel like you're the only one that gets your vision and mm. you know you don't you don't want to put any burden on anybody else mm. you know but it's nice when you're you're in it you know with a bunch of other you know entrepreneurs freelancers whatever mm. uh sharing those stories and it's, it's nice when you can actually break down a little bit of the barrier that exists because I do think walls are up, you know, when you're right. talking about your business. Because I'll tell you, for me, when I talk to other entrepreneurs and, and business owners and, and freelancers and stuff, I always, my wall is always up because I always think that you just don't get it. You know, you don't get what my vision is or how I want to run things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as those walls drop and I start to listen to other people and, and you know, learn from what they do. And, and I don't even mean... Like I don't even mean like a transactional thing. I don't. I don't. I don't mean about like business referrals and stuff like that. I Mm. I don't really care about that. But just the the life lessons and also, yeah, you're right. Just not feeling alone.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that's why me and a lot of other people got into co working in the first place was because otherwise we're stuck either working at home, in which you are very much alone, or you're working and you end up working in spaces like coffee shops, yeah, where you might actually be surrounded by people but you're surrounded by people that are really not there for the same reasons that you are. And therefore there's a certain barrier in that environment, um, that created not least the fact that they do not respect the need that you really just want somewhere where you can work. Yeah. And they're having conversations about whatever on the next table over at top volume.
0: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, um, I not I'm kind of curious. I want to run something by you because Mm -hmm. um, this is definitely something I dealt with when I was uh, starting ByteSight. Right. Um, And I'm, I'm, you know, again, we talk about Dave Hicks. It's definitely a question I want to ask him as well because- Is he going to be on this podcast? uh, At some point, hopefully, yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, For all of you listeners, if Dave (laughs) Hicks ever
1: comes out as an episode, you really should listen to it.
0: (laughs) Well, he got recommended by um, uh, Glenn- uh, oh Glenn Schmelsley. Yes, I can yes. I can never pronounce that. So for the last those name. of you not
1: listening, Glenn Schmelsley <laughs> is a, a a marketer and the CEO of Marketing What's New, a local company here in Ottawa. Yeah, so does, he, he
0: recommended he's like you yeah. should have Dave Hicks on your podcast. I'm yeah. like, okay, I like I was I was thinking in the back of my head like again kind of making the rounds of my bar Yeah, well now people. I
1: mentioned him. Now you have to have Yeah, your well I mean I've already right. I've already
0: sent him the email, so yeah. um but the question I have for you is, you know, when I started out, I actually I actually really heavily avoided the word freelancer um, because I was, I was very, I was very, um, was it the word free? No, no. no. because I I know a lot of people that are, that don't like the word
1: freelancer because the word free and because like we have a whole like subculture that deals with, people not wanting to pay us. Yeah, no, 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 uh. no.
0: no that, that, I never even thought about that. That's totally, yeah. that's totally. About, that, no. that,
1: that's where my mind goes. Yeah. <laughs> you,
0: you know what it was, was, okay. So when I was starting out, I, I had accepted a couple jobs. jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had worked for a couple of companies here and I was hired to do some videography, some research here and there. And one of the things that one of the companies told me was, okay, you're going to go shoot for us. You're going to go to this uh, spa and you're going to go shoot some stuff but you can't mention that you have your own company. You can't mention that you do not, like you are basically for all intents and purposes, uh, like our employee Mm -hmm. is that's how they viewed it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so not what I want to be. This kind of nameless faceless, you know, contractor that's hired on the on demand and doesn't do any of that. Because I was very much like I'm, I'm building a business here that I want to hire people and I want to be a firm or agency that you come to, not like somebody that you're filling in for labor or whatever. Right. right. And I felt like the term freelancer came with that baggage a little bit, right? And that's not really that's not really my question. But my question, I guess, is more: are you intentionally staying a one-person show? Or do you have aspirations of growing it to like a copywriting team? And I guess why or why not?
1: So this is the part where you disagree because for me it's, I, I take a slightly more mercenary view to that situation you're describing of being paid and being told that like you're effectively to act like you're an employee of the company. Yeah. and I will do that. Yeah. For a price. You're right. Um, I, I follow, I'm going to talk about one of the things I always love talking about, which is, um, uh, why it's important to get paid. Right. Um, and for that, if you've never seen it, there is a great clip that you can go find on YouTube, um, called pay the writer, um, uh, done by a, a man named Harlan Ellison, which you might recognize as a, he was a, a big, scriptwriter um, script writer for shows like star Trek, okay. Babylon five, right, right. um, like a, a big name in sci-fi and, and, that kind of realm of work and sort of like a bit of big name in Hollywood he passed a few years back right, right. Um, and known for being very bombastic and confrontational Um, but what he talks about is about how important it is about getting paid Um, and how so many people not like he was talking in the context of Hollywood but I see it as being sort of pretty universally applicable of um, a lot of People out there try to get you to work for nothing. Um, and that a lot of people that are really new to this work think that, oh, if I just work really hard, um, I'll eventually get compensated for it. Right. Um, which worked out really well when you were working that nine to five job. Because when you work, if you're an employee, if you work really hard, you get compensated for it. In freelance work, it, that's not always the case. And people often try to get the same work and then try to pay you not nearly enough for that work. Yeah. Um, so the Harlan Ellison school of work that I subscribe to as I think he puts it in, in the clip is if you cross my palm with silver, you can use my work. And until you do that, um, I'm not doing anything for you. Right. Um, um, and, and like, yeah, Like to a certain extent, like, uh, but one of my like early mentors who is actually of all things, a freelance photographer. Right. Um, when I had always asked him about like, Oh, what do you charge? Yeah. Um, and his word was my rate is proportional to how much I actually want to do the work. Yeah, totally. Um, in the sense that, and he was much further along in his career at that time where he had the luxury of being able to say like, you know, if I really loved what the client was pitching, yep. I might agree to do it for less money. Yeah, totally. Um, and in my mind, that is the only good reason that you have for doing work at less than what you absolutely than, than what you deserve to be paid.
0: But don't you think? Um, I mean, I think that's a tough thing for a lot of business owners who start off in the beginning, mm. uh, like BiteSide included, like we, and, and even to this day. Do you think? Um, A lot of people sell themselves short because they want to get deals, right? I I think so,
1: and they're wrong.
0: Okay. Um, (laughs) That's pretty. I
1: I, and I remember. I remember doing this. I remember saying this to a web development company that was in its first year, and this would have been about a year ago now. And I kind of want to go back and find them now and find and and ask this because I said to them uh, that I went saw met them for the first time, and they must have been like their first three months of work. Um, And I said, like, well, how much would it cost to build a website like this? And they're like, they gave me a number and I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about in a year In a year you're going to be charging three times that amount right. for, for building the website. And it's not because, and they're, and they were like, well, but we want to get our name out and nobody knows it. It's just like, no, that that's not what it is. You're not paying to get your name out. Um, you're paying because that's how much work it is. Right.
0: Um, and but how that, do you gauge, how do you gauge how good you really are though? Because like, it's like you could charge. like I, I had this student come to me and, and ask me like, oh, I want to like, oh, I, you know, like, how do you, how do you get clients to pay this amount or whatever? And he said like, he said like, oh, I want to charge this customer my like $10,000 and like legitimately in my head, I was like, like, is, is your work actually worth that much? Right. You know? So,
1: yeah. So I should probably be a little more nuanced about that. There is a certain amount of like experience in doing your job well, that goes into figuring out how much you need to charge. But there's also a point at which we all know how much time and effort it's going to be to do a specific thing. Yep. Um, and at the end of the day, regardless, you deserve to have enough money to pay your rent and put food on the table. Um, and I think there's a certain benefit when you've been doing freelance for, for a while of knowing what the difference between those two things is. Yeah, There's paying a fee because you know that the consultant absolutely knows their shit. Yeah. Um, and there's also paying a newbie less than you know that they need to be able to survive. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, the thing that makes your business go forward is money. Yeah. Um, sure. It's great if your name gets out there, but that's usually on you. You get paid so that you can afford to get your name out there. Yeah. Other people aren't going to do that for you. They're not, they're not part of your business. Yeah. That's not their problem.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Um, the only person that is responsible for promoting your business is you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hire other people to help you with that. Sure. But at the end of the day, that still costs money. Yeah. Um, so if anybody is ever thinking out there of paying their freelancer that they're contemplating in exposure, please go fuck yourself.
0: <laughs> strong um, opinion, I, strong I, yeah, opinion. I,
1: and that will be I will I mean don't
0: get me wrong. Okay, yeah. I, I, I I am generally on the same page as you. I will mm. say there's, there's situations though where if I have a long relationship, Already with a client mm. or a friend or whoever, yeah. then I think getting paid in exposure or experience or whatever kind right. of makes sense because I have a trust with that person already. Right? Like they they know they know what our work is worth. Right. Right. And it's just like there's an opportunity where because right. I know I myself, for example, um, you know I've I've dealt with you know providers and stuff like that where it's like I. I straight up can't afford them. Right. But I'm like, if you want, like, because you want the work or whatever, I'll do it, but I'm not going like, I like legitimately just don't have the money to pay them. Right. Right. And if they want to take that, you know, I mean
1: like there's, yeah, there, there's a certain amount, but I think that at the very least, and, and again, the way that you might, I might nuance this is that, um, There are ways of delivering value and the same kind of value for money, um, that do not necessarily involve money, which is the realm of in kind and contra arrangements. Right. If you don't know what those are, you can go look them up. Um, but essentially there are ways of delivering value that help people get ahead, um, but most of them are not exposure. Just mm-hmm. telling people about your name doesn't really do anything. Right, right. It, it has to be something functionally that leaves you with something that you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if I'm, and I've done a, a few in kind arrangements, it's stuff that ultimately materially compensates me for the time mm-hmm. that I have. Yep. It may not necessarily be money, but it is something like money. Yep. Um, and yeah, the, what you decide that that is, I think, is should be entirely up to you. Yep. Um,
0: but I get it. I get. Yeah. It. I think your general mentality uh, is that there are a lot of people who start other businesses and who are in freelancing mm. who get basically taken advantage of, and that's yep. basically what you're right. what you're professing yeah. that is. And
1: for me, and for and for Holland Ellison, God bless his soul. Yeah, it was the issue that. When you do that as a as a new business, you make it hard. You not only make yourself suffer, but you also make it hard for the rest of us. Oh, totally, 100%. because because you end up with with customers or potential customers that have a wildly inaccurate idea yeah. about um, um, about what things cost. Like,
0: well, I, I, yeah, it's it's true. Like, my, I have a buddy who helped me out get started. Actually, my mm-hmm. friend Chris, he. He was talking to me about this the other day that like especially in software, right? Like we are not doing the industry any favors by doing stuff for free, and we do it a lot. Like we get a phone call to say, "Hey, can you change this on the website? Can you do this or whatever?" And it'll be like it'll be five minutes of work that we're just not. It's not worth time tracking. It's not worth invoicing, and we keep doing that. But we we get that a lot, though. You you, you think about a law firm. Mm. You call them up for five minutes, they charge you. Yeah. Right. And it sounds it sounds so. Stingy, but it makes a lot of sense. Right. Cause, right. cause ultimately like five minutes every day, like, right. you know, like that, gets, it adds up. Right. And, yeah. and you're not doing the and, industry and, yourself any favors. Right.
1: Ultimately I am generally with the lawyers on this one. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to use my time, it's going to cost you something. Yeah. There's a certain amount of time that I will spend not getting paid. Yeah. Um, in my business, but it, that is all effectively the cost of me figuring out how I'm going to get
0: paid. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I will sit and meet with a prospective client to yeah. figure out what they need are and whether I'm going to be a good fit for the problem that they have. Yeah. That, that's fair. Um, there, I think, comes a line, though.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's tough, it's tough to figure that out. Because yeah. I, I, myself, I, I, hate, like, I hate the idea of charging a client for every little thing that they do. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what it does, right? Like For lawyers, for example... I I used to call the law firm that I dealt with a lot and then I got my first bill and then I basically just stopped calling them. I was like, oh shoot, I I better not do this, right? Mm. I I think maybe a more, and and again, I'm on the fence, I haven't really fully made up my mind about this because the way my accountant does it, I think is really smart. He basically charges me a certain amount to do my taxes, and the corporate tax right. and nothing. But then, basically, throughout the year, I can call up for whatever I want. And he doesn't charge me. Right. But I'm assuming that because he's built that into his cost, right? right? And, and
1: to a certain extent, I would like my general rule is I do that too. Yeah, there, there's a certain amount of work that I will do for my clients yeah. that that I will not like that I will not charge them for. Right. Um, what that is, I find is is actually for me and I know this is really unhelpful for anybody hoping for advice on this, <laughs> is something for you to figure out. Yeah. Um, usually it's, it's, it's very subjective. Yeah. I des- The amount of free work that I will do for a client is actually proportional to how much I actually like the client. 100%, right?
0: If the, if the client's an asshole, I'm never going to do anything for free for <laughs> yeah. them. Um, I totally agree. Um, but Which is unfortunate, but I mean, if you think about it, like the, the amount of stress that a bad client will cause you Right Is 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 worth that That time And effort and money And right like Right You know I have, I have clients Who are just so friendly So helpful Right Willing to bend over backwards for us So we're like yeah You know we'll, we'll help you out We'll do what we can right? I
1: would say that, that That a good One of One of the ways that I go about figuring that out Is Asking myself What would I do If money didn't matter Right What would I be doing Would I still be working For these people If money didn't matter Right um, and I find that that's a pretty good gauge yeah. because I've taken a number of contracts and most of them and it ended up being rather unpleasant, which I've taken because I needed money. Yep. Um, and that once the money, when you took the money out of the equation, I realized like I had no desire to be there yeah. or doing the work. Yep. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, I'm still going to do the best job because I'm, I want a combination of, I had to like the client or I'm being paid. Yep. Um, hopefully both, but, um,
0: that's the ideal client. Yeah,
1: so that, I think that would probably be my advice to somebody starting out in my field was, um, make your decisions personal. Yeah. Um, especially if you're a freelancer, because in, if you're running a freelance business, everything is personal. Um, everything at the end of the day comes down to you and only you, um, because there's nobody out there that, Else out that's going to be able to save you from yourself.
0: Okay, Andrew, we are running out of time.
1: We haven't even talked about what copywriting
0: is. <laughs> no. So, for those this of you, do
1: you, does anybody here, if anybody cares what copywriting is, copywriting is um, any writing that you see um, that is designed to get your attention and get you to take action. Which go. I realize is really broad and really like, open-ended, but effectively, if you go onto like in, like the, the the common example, if you go onto a website and there's there's writing there that's trying to get you to click the big button to get you to sign up or get you to buy, that's copy. Anything that's not trying to get you to take action is not copy. Um, and I realize that sometimes that it's very difficult to tell the difference between what is copy and what is, finger quotes, content. Um, especially because so much content is also designed to try and help you take action on things. Right. Um, but if it's not really doing it, if it's not encouraging you in a particularly direct way, I would say that it falls more into content. Um, and, and that copy one way or another is falls into either two groups, which is sort of direct and indirect. So direct copy is the one that's like, buy now, uh, sign up now, that's copy. Uh, the other form is, is indirect copy, which um, uh, I, I think the, the example that immediately comes to mind is uh, car commercials. Car commercials are a form of sort of indirect copy. They're telling you what's so great about the car, they're not expecting you to go out and buy the car today. Um, the plan is that they're trying to motivate you to take action on at the time that you decide that you want to get a new car. Right. Um, because people don't buy cars every day, um, and what th- they what you want from you is for that brand or that type of, that particular vehicle to be front of mind when that moment hits where you're like, I need a new car.
0: Right. Okay, so there is the <laughs> definition of coffee. I feel like that would Andrew have been Monroe. more educational
1: to have started this podcast no, no, with that. That's
0: not what this podcast is about. If you want to find out more from Andrew, you can go to his website ww.andrewmonro dot com. Dot C-A. We're on the same boat as you. We didn't get the dot com. Yes, but most of
1: the time people mess up the, the last name. So Andrew. it's the
0: all o's
1: last name <laughs> that's really important.
0: Thank you for spending the last hour with me. Always appreciate it. And thanks for piloting your podcast. It's been a pleasure.
1: I will let you know if it ever comes out. If it ever, ever comes out, we
0: will advertise it for you if you want. I should be your first guest if this ever happens. Okay.
1: We'll have to <laughs> talk. Pressure we'll have to talk power. about that, okay? Pressure's on now. Yeah. All
0: right, that's it, guys. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me at casey.lee at gmail.com. That's c a s e y dot l i at gmail.com or send me a tweet at casey lee 23 you can visit also you can also visit our website at com slash podcast casey talks to people is currently hosted on anchor.fm and distributed to all your favorite platforms including apple Podcasts, overcast spotify and more don't forget to subscribe and leave reviews if you can and you can even leave voice messages on the website if you want don't forget to check out levitator by lp it's a great track all right that's it for episode 15 on july twenty. Didn't update my notes. It says July 12th on my notes. Yes. And
1: and can I just say, it has been a pleasure being here with
0: you. (laughs) Thanks, Andrew. Really appreciate it. The conversation went in all sorts of directions that were not in my notes. And that's what it's all about. So that's it for episode 15, I think. Um, On July 24th, 2019, Casey talks to Andrew Monroe. We hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you guys in the next one.